Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Progress Theory. In today's episode, we brought on Christian Vassalo, SNC coach and researcher, to discuss the three-minute all-out test. The use of the three-minute all-out test is becoming more popular as coaches are finding it easy to use and provides... But what is this information? How can it so easily be obtained and then used to make programming decisions? Well, in this episode, Christian breaks down how you perform the three-minute all-out test, the physiology behind the information it gives you, and how it can be used in a training program. As always, please follow and share The Progress Theory on Instagram and YouTube. Head to our website, theprogresstheory.com, and check out all of our other episodes. But for now, here is Christian Vasalo. Christian, hello. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? Very well. It's great, great to get on this podcast with you. <laughs> no, thank you for coming on. I've wanted to discuss this particular topic with someone for a while um, because I've noticed that three-minute all-out tests are gaining popularity within the coaching space. And I wanted to know a bit more about it. And I thought, who, who's the best person to bring on the progress theory to discuss it? And then I remember that time where we met at St. Mary's I was doing a training session out on the track and you had just come along with your, the trundle wheel because you were doing the testing for your dissertation at the time, which involved the three-minute all-out test. And on top of that, you've then gone on to like do more research in this area. And I thought, oh, that's perfect. We need Christian on this progress theory. <laughs> Definitely. So I remember those, those days very well, very fondly, but also <laughs> with uh, turning up early mornings, walking around the track with the trundle wheel. But I think I look back to those days, which are not too in the, in the distant past, mind you, as a period where I really lived and breathed, I guess, uh, implementing the mm. test, the three-minute all-out test, what the implications are. But then since then, it's really ignited a passion with which I really um, want to further in, in terms of research, but also share this with all levels of, of the population from elite athletes to, to you know, weekend warriors. So I think, yeah. Really excited to discuss. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, take us back a little bit. Let's hear a bit more about yourself and where this passion started. Like you're an S coach. Where did you start getting into S and C? So, as probably most S and Cs, as a failed professional sportsman uh, at the so at the age of <laughs> I know how that feels. Yes. <laughs> at the age of uh, seventeen, so I was actually born on an island called Malta, which uh, maybe some listeners may be familiar with. So I'm half Maltese, half English. The age of 17, I went. To, I'd always had the ambition to come to the UK to pursue a career in professional football, and that happened when I was granted a or offered a two-year scholarship. With a, I had some trials at some professional clubs, but I didn't get offered the professional contract, so I played some non-league football. The story goes that during this time, I'm reckon, I'm slowly coming to the realization that. I'm not going to be a professional sportsman or professional player, which is what I left 
my family home for. Although I, I loved training and I never even knew something such as sports science existed until mm. I had a coach come to me who said specifically these words that you do not belong here. And I, I, did not, I didn't know exactly what that meant. What he meant is that you belong somewhere better, which can fulfill both your academic and your sporting abilities. And he recommended Loughborough. Uh, so okay. I, I kind of completed my independent study. I didn't actually have a college so I had to kind of self-study to, to get into university and managed to get on the sport, sports science, enroll in the sports and exercise science course. Just did my undergraduate for, it was a four-year undergraduate because I took a leave of absence to build my strength conditioning career. And then after that undergraduate, I went on to work for Arsenal Football Club for around five years. During that time, I also completed my master's in strength conditioning at, at St. Mary's. So really? that was, it was a stop tour for my last year. Yeah. For years. Where are you now? You're, you're with trainer, is that right? That's right. So since finishing the master's, which was in 2019. So in the last kind of two years, I've been working as a consultant, as a strength conditioning coach. Uh, and that's involved many different paths. One which has also been with a company called Hints of Performance, which is a motor racing drivers, but also more recently a company called Trainer. And this is where we've set up a multidisciplinary support team to offer holistic athlete education and athlete preparation to emerging professional footballers and we set it up not to guarantee any professional careers but to instill professionalism and a pathway in sport whether that's a university degree or whether that's in their sport that's a very recent project which we've been dedicating a lot of time to and it's certainly been a a huge passion to work and, and stay in touch with, with, I guess, the sport of football in that sense as well. Now, that's really cool. Where can people find information about Trainer? Yeah, so we have our website, so Trainer with double A. It's intentionally spelled with a double A because we've converted that into, into our logo, like a goalpost. So Trainer.com is our website. At Trainergram is our Instagram page. And we also have a Facebook page. So if you, and, and also on LinkedIn. So if you do want to follow us, we do occasionally also um, publish webinars, which are open to everyone. And for example, recently we've had one on performance parenting. Another one was on game intelligence, but trying to make it open and accessible to at least once every couple of months so everyone can join on to that. Oh, wicked. No, I'll definitely check that out. Brilliant. So let's crack on with the three-minute all-out test. Uh, would you be able to just give me a brief description about what it is yes i i think the beauty of the three minute all-out test lies in probably its, its description in, in the essence it is an all-out test and it lasts for three minutes mm. when i mentioned this test probably few people given the amount of research that has come out in the last decade or more on this test it's actually quite surprising how few people are familiar with this test i felt very privileged to be introduced to this test from dr mark waldron at at st mary's university which is where on one of the on-site practicals, which a willing student who volunteered for it was put through his paces. So the, the actual, what it is, Phil, just which I know you've witnessed it as well from seeing it at St. Mary's, typically a running track is the most natural place just because it offers the space and it doesn't require any stop starts. And if you, to put things simply, if you're an athlete or simply want to try it, you, you just need, uh, let's say if you have a curvature on a track, you go all out from the get-go. So you're sprinting at your maximum effort. And the key is that you have to hold on for dear life right to the very end. I, I always think of keeping your foot on the pedal, floor down, so you're never letting go until those three minutes are over. So you can imagine that you would start very fast. And obviously, as time goes by, your pace 
it's going to gradually de- uh, decline. But crucially, and this is one of the crucial factors, is that you uh, cannot know how much time has passed because <laughs> that will influence the human pacing strategy, which completely defeats the object of the test. So it has to be all out. You can't know anything. You can't think, oh, I must have about a, a minute left. I'll try and pace it out so I can then have some kind of big ending. It's yep. just all out and hold on for dear life. Absolutely. And typically this is done with, if there's a tester providing encouragement, doing it on your own with no, obviously you can put a count down and you watch if you're doing it on your own, but it's so tempting having also recently uh, done another one of these myself. You, you're thinking, sure, that's three minutes and you want to have a sneaky check at the watch. And then that, it's crazy how that influences your uh, speed profile, yeah. your speed time profile when you look I at it. I would not wear a watch. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> I would check that watch if it was on my wrist. For, for sure. Uh, but as you said, it's just a bit of background of the athlete experience as well of doing the test. Um, the exertion is probably, I would confidently say, one of the hardest tests out there from an exertion point of view. But it's a trade-off that it's over in three minutes. So that's always gets the buy-in. That's over in three minutes. But the exertion in terms of, it's a feeling that you probably will have very rarely experienced in your life because no, it's against human nature to go all out when you know you have to go out for three minutes. It, it defeats uh, human physiology and any type of pacing. So you described using the th- uh, three-minute all-out test on a track. Can it be done on a bike or on a rower or anything, any other ergometer? Absolutely. There's, in fact, cycling is probably one of the other most commonly used, and that's where the three-minute all-out running test originated from. Uh, it's from cycling, okay. and it's slightly, I say, more technical on a cycling ergometer because you have to match or standardize the RPM, the revolutions per minute, with a match load in order to produce the power output. However, similar on the rower, if you're a rowing ergometer, you can do apply the exact same principle, where essentially what we're looking for is an absolute all-out effort, if we're thinking of, let's say you could see the speed trace or from a GPS unit or from your Garmin, maybe, you'd see a peak very early on within three to six seconds. You'd hit your, your peak speed or your max speed, let's say. And over time, you see a gradual decline and not just a, a rapid decline, a gradual decline. And eventually, towards the last 30 seconds of the three minutes, you're going to see a leveling off. And that profile, let's call it the, the speed time profile, is consistent in whether you do it in running, if you do it in rowing, if you did it in cycling, you'd see power output, a very similar profile. And what we are interested in is, I'm sure we'll go into what we can get out of it, but essentially that's, that's what I want hopefully people to have in mind is that you get a huge peak because you've gone all out and then it's holding on for dear life, but actually you settle into a speed at the end. Even though you feel like you're going really slow, you're actually going in like much much faster than you actually think does it feel slow compared to what you've just previously done because you've gone all out exactly it's all relative for sure because you've hit your max speed yeah. hence why you've because it's such a uh, a steep drop off from the initial all-out effort yeah. that's probably a lot to do because you, you would feel like you're almost at walking not a slow jog walking pace and it's very easy to think mm. is there any point of continuing to go on here but actually that's the whole point of the test and many will look at the test and think that you're crazy to go all out for that length of time because the wing gate which is typically 30 seconds as we know is hard enough so then why are we extending it to three minutes (laughs) but one more thing phil to add is we mentioned the running track to begin with however a a field which ideally if you had a straight line whether if you're in london if it was high park or anywhere or, (laughs) or not you can actually create a lap around the a football field but one thing you have to be mindful of is the curvature as well so ideally you want the all-out first kind of six seconds to ideally have a 
a home straight where you can actually hit your max speed. And when we run it on a track, we actually use the outer outer lanes to minimize the curve when you're running around, which would be more costly from a from an energy point of view. Okay. So you want to avoid any of those 90 degree turns if you did use a football field to do this. Trying to keep it as straight as possible, but curve into it just so that you make it continuous. For sure. And you can design the apex of the turn. Uh, that There are ways you can do that if you wanted to just make sure. But there are also, interestingly, Phil, there's also shuttle versions of the pre-minute all-out tests, which have come out recently or more, more recently. Okay, yeah. So 50-meter shuttle, uh, for example, all-out. But they've shown that it does give you slight, slightly different values or information to what the call it the pure pre-minute all-out test or the linear pre-minute all-out test gives you. But they are also suitable options if you don't have the space or maybe you perform an intermittent sport that mm. where change of direction is important. Okay, so the three-minute all-out keep it linear, preferably if it was something like running, rowing, or cycling. Mm-hmm. However, this shuttle version would be more appropriate for field-based sports such as rugby, football, and hockey. Possibly, yes. And it's still very debatable, which is interesting. If you're working with team sport athletes, should you, if you're already doing a yo-yo, a yo-yo test or a bleep test or a 15 test, and which is already shuttle, are you going to go for a test which reciprocates the movement demand or are you going to go for a test which is truer to the physiological or, if you like, the information that I can give you from in its purest sense, which is the linear version. Mm. So I think that's a decision down to the person and what information they want from that. When you say information, like what are the key variables or information are we trying to get from this test or what are we trying to get out of our athlete when performing this test? Definitely. I think the, why I am such a big fan of this test, Phil, after, mind you, after I've done it, not, not whilst doing it, <laughs> because it's because of what, what it gives you for the time that you I'll bite yes it's a maximum effort but there's no excuse that three minute test isn't an efficient use of time because I think it's probably mm. most, one of the most efficient tests out there so in terms of what it gives us so primarily we can talk about three main things the first one is intuitive which is your max speed because you have to achieve you have to get we're talking running based we use running as a just to use use our example mm. the second one is the average speed of your last 30 seconds okay so okay that can be let's say three and a half 3.5 meters per second or 14k an hour for example just to give you might get 28k an hour we'll use kilometers per hour so it's very simple 28k an hour 30k an hour if you're more a fast switch guy potentially and then uh, between 13 15k an hour just to give you an example in those last 30 seconds so as you can see 13 15k an hour isn't actually slow is it when you think of it but when you're doing mm. it you feel like you're probably running more at 8k an hour of those last 30 seconds so that last the average speed of the last 30 seconds is something we call critical speed and it's the clue is in its name critical also tells us a lot which we can go into the detail a bit more mm. in a second of what that actually means the third and final thing uh, is something called d prime or d with like a apostrophe and all that means is finite distant capacity so in simple terms uh, if you think of like a race car, it's like your turbo, your finite turbo that you have available. Or I think of Need for Speed back in the day when you space, like your finite. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it represents. Your D prime is basically any any distance that you can cover above your critical speed, and that is finite and it's predictable. And that, and we can talk about the relevance of those three things and how they come together and what they mean for you, how you use them. But it's critical speed and it's your finite distance above critical speed, which are the main parameters that we can get from from this test. 
Okay. Would you be able to describe in a bit more detail the critical speed? From hearing your discussions at the moment, it sounds like you've got this speed that you can continuously go at without causing like a real spike or some sudden spike in fatigue. Whereas everything above that is like a, a battery that has a finite level of storage. And if you, as soon as you lose that battery, you just fall to your critical speed. It's like your set pace. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, you're very much along, along the right wavelength there, Phil. And that's the thing, I, I want really people to almost overlook, okay, it's new terminology, but the concept is it's actually can be very simple, but so, yet so powerful. To answer your question, Phil, let's start by saying, imagine we know the world's, the fastest human being in 100 meters is uh, Usain Bolt, 9.58, am I right in saying? Seconds, as a very mm-hmm. record. So if you think of, okay, his peak is right up there. So he's, I think, 40, 42 kilometers per hour, potentially. But then if you go to, the, if you go the world record for one mile, for example. Let's just use one back in history, the four-minute mile, for example. So there's a steep decline, a re- quite a very steep decline from the pace of a four-minute mile versus a 100-meter sprint. So there's a big decline there. And this is something we call the speed-time relationship. So the faster I go, the shorter I can, I can last. If I go a bit slower, I can last a bit longer. Now, mm. the difference from a mile pace to a marathon pace is different, but nowhere near as different than a 100-meter and the mile pace, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. the drop-off isn't as steep. And what we get is a gradual, they actually call it in mathematics the asymptote, which is like the leveling off of the curve. So you have a, like a hyperbolic curve, as they, they would say. And it's essentially when that asymptote or that leveling off happens, that's essentially where your, your own personal critical speed is. And to give you a precise definition of critical speed, it's the maximum sustainable speed that you can hold without a progressive loss of homeostasis. So if you think of homeostasis... That's much better described than how I did. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's, I can build on that in terms of, if you think of what homeostasis is, it's a deviation from the normal. It's a deviation from mm. you know, what our body can sustain. You know, above that, it's when the demand exceeds the supply, whether that's in energy, whether that's in running speed. And crucially, critical speed is a critical fatigue threshold. So it's actually, it's critical that, like you said, Phil, above that, you're not lasting for too much long, for too, depending how, how high above that you go. Below that, you can sustain, in theory, indefinitely or for a very long time. Yeah, because from my reading, I've heard that you can sustain just at or underneath the critical speed limit for around three hours. But mm. is it, in theory, you could you know, just keep going at that speed? In theory, yes. Yes, that's a huge relevance for ultramarathon running, for example. Mm. There's lots of relevance for any athletic event and sport, but Yes, there's even there's application for the military in terms of with load carriage, what you can sustain with load okay. carriage in terms of, okay, where's your uh, metabolic ceiling? And one thing I might add, Phil, is that critical speed has recently been referred to in the literature or in the, in the research by, by the same scientists who helped Elliot Kipchoge in his breaking two. So the group from Exeter, Andy Jones, etc. Oh yeah, Andy Jones, yeah. And they've had as the, the gold standard Critical is a gold standard for the metabolic steady state. And I think that's a fantastic way to describe it. So linking in with the homeostasis definition. And ultimately, it's also indicative of your highest aerobic speed. It's indicative of the maximum rate of oxidate or oxidative metabolism. So aerobically, you can deliver energy that you can sustain. If you're operating below that, yes, you can, you can pretty much last for a very long time. And then mm. 
there's fantastic studies which show 5% below, yep, they last for a long time, to put it simply. 5% above, they said okay. they're 5% above. And what is lots of stuff happening in the muscle, lots of stuff happening to your blood lactate, lots of stuff happening to your heart rate, which is indicative maybe of your VO2, your oxygen, what we call the development of, a, of the slow component. So, and that gradually um, rises. So for example, your fatigue creeping up, fatigue markers increasing, even just 5% above that. But 5% below that, these all come to a kind of steady state. So that's the critical fatigue threshold that we that is often defined as. What about the D prime? You said it was you're able to predict it. So it's like how big is your battery? Mm-hmm. If we link it back to my crude description of my ideas around it, like how would you predict how big your battery is? Yeah, definitely. So the D prime, we call it finite battery charge, let's call it that, because that mm. links in nicely with the energy. So find your finite battery charge, which we know any iPhone won't, <laughs> or smartphone won't last forever. You need to recharge. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> yeah, with coming back to that analogy of, okay, let's just remind our listeners is that your finite battery power, so to speak, is determined by the distance that you cover above your critical speed, which we spoke about. And essentially... There's, there's a couple of things to, to think of that is that it gives us one, people previously call your anaerobic capacity, which recently, or I guess fairly recently, has been criticized as not probably the most accurate definition to, to call. It's not as simple as just anaerobic capacity because it's multiple factors coming together. But the principle mm. is that it's, it's finite, so they're battery charge. But then you can think of, okay, how quickly do you lose charge and how quickly do you recharge? And that depends on how fast you're going above that, that threshold, so to speak. So the faster you go, you can imagine the quicker it's going to deplete. It's, it's going to recharge when your speed drops below your critical speed. That's when you will recharge your finite. But there's only maybe a certain amount of recharge cycles that can actually happen. Because at one point, depending on how much you rest, depending on how fast you go, that battery is going to be depleted or used the more you go into it. Okay. So... Say that I was your athlete. We've just done a three-minute test, hypothetical, thankfully. Yes. And you had information about my D-prime and my critical speed. Mm-hmm. So how would you use that information to then possibly improve my training performance? And when describing that, you can say, assume that I'm a runner. Mm-hmm. I want to improve my running performance. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you use that information to then make decisions when programming for me? Definitely. So a really great question, Phil. And I think this is where the the value of, again, one three-minute test Mm. gives you those parameters. And I can think of of different areas where we can lead the discussion. And I can be prompted by you, Phil, whichever one is most interesting for us to delve into. The first one is intuitive, which is profiling. So simply by looking at your curve or that that peak and the drop-off, just simply visually looking at it retesting in six weeks time you can see visually do i have a faster max speed or not what's the area above that critical speed okay my d prime okay but also where's my drop off or where's my critical speed so profiling gives a really even just looking at visually but also getting those actual numbers gives you a standardized way of have i got fitter but in what way has my fitness improved you can be a bit more specific so that's the first one profiling and there's when i say a plethora of research out there where you can compare yourself to athletic populations and non-athletic populations. So standardized 
based off the three-minute test. Uh, so if your critical speed is 13 kilometers an hour, am I above average? Am I below average? Am I that can be considered elite? Or is that poor? So there's lots of norms available for us where you, where you can actually compare. Okay, yeah. Um, that's, that's the profiling. The second one is performance prediction. I'll just give a whistle-stop tour, is that with knowledge of these things, because we know your battery charge is not only finite, but it's predictable, and that's the key, hmm. it's also predictable. And you can predict 5K times, 10K times, 800 meter times somewhat, just based off that with a fair high level degree of accuracy. And the third one is what I would call training prescription. And this is where, which probably applies mostly to the question. So I say the best of the last, hopefully. I say if I had your critical speed and your D prime, what would I do with them? Or what can I do with those numbers myself? Well, firstly, we know, I'm sure many listeners might have used heart rate zones in the past. So critical speed can be defined as the boundary between what we call the heavy domain, heavy intensity domain, and, and the severe intensity domain. Roughly what would that look like? Because yeah. usually people put themselves into zones based on heart rate, mm-hmm. if they're using a Garmin or a MyZone or something like that. So now we've got like heavy and severe heavy. Mm-hmm. Where would that be roughly when it comes to heart rate, just so people have an ability to picture where this threshold is? Yeah, so good question. And probably was that even possible to do? Yeah, probably quite difficult to give us that, like a, an absolute or even a mm. percentage. But maybe what people would be familiar with is where the zone four is, if you like going okay, to zone yeah. four, whether that's 75% or 80% of max heart rate which we're essentially saying people might be familiar with lactate from the maximum lactate steady state. Critical speed is just above that. It's actually the highest, as we said, threshold that you can sustain. So that's essentially your zone four entry. Beyond that, so your zone four entry is your threshold work. So heart rate would probably vary quite a lot depending on fitness level. And that's the beauty of this is that you don't have to rely on heart rate. I think that's the whole, that's one of the main things mm. because if I know I'm running above the speed, I'm in the severe domain. And then if I'm running above my max aerobic speed, which is another marker, maybe for another podcast, then I know I'm in extreme domain or whichever, whatever you would like to call it. Equally, if I'm 15% below my critical speed, roughly, we, we, we equivalent that to another threshold, you can be in the moderate domain. And then therefore you have zone three mm-hmm. and then you have zone two. So essentially, this can be a nice marker that you know, easy runs, you should not necessarily run beyond this because you're actually taxing yourself quite a lot Mm. if you're doing threshold work or intervals long intervals you want to be you can simply go for example 105 on 10 percent of your critical speed for a certain amount of time which you can actually put in a simple equation for that okay cool so rather than chasing a heart rate zone you're like okay i need to be running at this speed this speed i know is 120 percent of my critical speed so i will do three sets of four intervals with 22 minutes rest i'm just sort of of throwing numbers out there but uh that kind of thing exactly so you can use it as a simple like you say a a speed that if you want to if 100 percent because of speed is it's different it does differ between individuals but you can assume that to be close to 10k pace if I'm, I'm going to probably put myself on the ropes here and be criticised by many huh. researchers, more or less. Um, having said that, the top Elliot Kipchoge, for example, ran uh, his two-hour breaking two at 97% of critical speed, that which was phenomenal. Obviously, aided by uh, vapor flies as well. But just to give you, it's a reference point which, as you said, Phil, you can actually simply 
number of percentage above or below you can actually use as your uh okay. tool. That's incredible, the whole Elliot Kipchoge thing. Yes. Because I to run it under two hours, he needs to be running just under or just over twenty-one kilometers per hour. Correct. And that is still below his critical speed. That Correct. I don't even know if I could run for that fast. That's so far above my critical speed. Exactly. Maybe it's closer to some people's maximum sprint speed, to be honest. Mm. And you know, one goes to show the incredible, you look at VO2 max. In fact, if you look at maximum, their maximum oxygen uptake, which is usually used as the gold standard for endurance performance, the research has evolved since then. But actually, that doesn't mm. differentiate why he's able to run, as we know, that in a sub two hours. And he essentially is running, if you like, at one of the highest proportions of his critical speed because he has such a high threshold. Uh, and he's an incredible athlete, which is, like mm. you say, when you put it in that number. But then something to think of is that it's human, physiologically, humanly impossible to run a marathon anything like above your critical speed. It's like that, that cannot happen. So therefore you always mm. have to be, it's, the question is how close to that ceiling can you take yourself to push yeah. your body to the limits in, in, in his case, yeah. Because if you ran at 97% of critical speed, yeah. Could he maintain 99% of critical speed, in theory? Yeah, it would it'd be, he definitely could maintain it. The question is how long, isn't it? I guess mm. that would be, I think, the question that we've all asked. And how long can he extend his tolerance at that speed and buffer all those things happening in his muscles and his systems to delay fatigue so he can actually complete his race? Well, one thing as well, Phil, that I haven't gone on to discussion, just hopefully so people can get there head around the speed concept, but maybe this can be a part two, not to re-invite mm. myself, mind you. I, I, no, absolutely. <laughs> so, round two's already been booked. That's, uh, and that's, <laughs> and this is where, what's in the future, or I hope the near future, and where, mm. and that's uh, using power for running or overground power. Okay. I can go into these if you'd like me to, but I, I'd say there's, just to keep that on people's radar, there's different brands out there nowadays where you can actually attach foot pods and actually get real-time power as you're running. And I can explain why maybe power may be more useful than simply running in simple terms. But I'll leave that as an aside, but you can... Yeah, let's save me. that for round two, because we need at least about 40 minutes yes. to discuss that one. Yes, probably. Sounds incredible. Probably. Going back to your point two, which was around using this information to predict race performance. Yes. There is a function on your Garmin where it shows you what it's predicting, like 5K, 10K, half marathon and marathon time. Mm-hmm. I, I look at those times when I click on it with my watch and it's relatively near for 5K, 10K, mm-hmm. but marathon, I'm like, I am way off. There's not a chance I'm yep. achieving that time in a marathon. And doing some further reading not too long ago, uh, I read the conclusion of a particular study who said that the three-minute test is most optimal for predicting performance for those events that are around two and a half minutes to about 18 minutes, which kind of leads into what you said about, oh yeah, we can predict 5K, 10K, maybe 800 meters. Mm-hmm. And all of those were in that sort of boundary that this particular mm-hmm. study suggested. Why would it be potentially worse at predicting marathon time or ultra marathon times? Very good question. So one thing on, I guess, the, fr- the three-minute all-out test, as we said, gives us those parameters so we can predict mm. race performance there's actually another way to gain critical speed and D-prime, which is not for the purpose of this, but for the purpose of really answering your question, hopefully gives our listeners more context. So 
three-minute tests, as we know, time-efficient, you get the values that you need to profile, to prescribe, to alter my training. So I know I'm not overdoing it, but I know I can push myself, put simply. Hmm. But then previously, what you had to do before, let's say, the three-minute test came along, you'd have to run an all-out, let's say you could go all-out distance or time. So maybe a 12-minute run to exhaustion or a 3K run to exhaustion. And then Mm. you'd run something a bit shorter, so maybe an 800-meter or 1K run, which is in that three-minute boundary. So you have essentially a performance at the longer end and a performance at the shorter end. Mm. And that would give us something called your distance-time relationship, um, which is linear, obviously. So if you think of Obviously, the, the shorter the distance, the shorter the time, the longer the distance, the longer the time. And this, come back to your question, Phil, is that from based on that relationship, you can gain your critical speed in D prime very, very, very easily. But the question is, okay, does that relationship continue, as we said, all the way to marathon performance? Like how much beyond the 15 minute or 18 minute that you mentioned, how accurate can it be? And I've read literature which says, yes, Beyond, okay, even 10K is sometimes a bit questionable in terms of mm. how accurate it is. But then, Phil, I've, there's also research which I've read quite recently. In fact, I have it, I have it here, just I had it ready. And mm. this was published uh, in 2020. And what they did, they used raw training data, I think from, probably like from Garmin, I believe, or Strava. I think mm. they got it from Strava. And they used this method I just described. So they got someone's person best over 5k or 3k or even longer maybe and they calculated marathon running time so they used critical speed and knowledge of deep brand to calculate marathon running and what they found mm. actually had a good correlation in recreation runners for predicting marathon running performance which okay again maybe goes against some of the other <laughs> literature which suggests it's only valid till yeah. 10k so obviously depending on the population, but it can, I believe it has relevance or can have relevance even up to those ends. I think it depends on individual levels, probably how much. Mm. It really feels it's an area that is developing really quite quickly. Maybe the whole sub two hour marathon has excited that area of the research. And now there's a lot of people working on similar areas and really developed this particular area of physiology, like we're very familiar with the sort of aerobic and anaerobic thresholds. And I think people now have started to realize there's actually more to it than that. Concepts such as critical power, critical speed, D prime, people are becoming more aware of the research that is looking into this area. So more and more people are now trying to use this information in their own training, in their own coaching, all of that sort of thing. That's why I really wanted you on this podcast, because it's this brand new area of research that a lot of physiologists are very common with, but the general population may be less so, or there's a lack of mm-hmm. clarity around the areas. Okay, let's have a little discussion. Let's see, let's get a true grip of an understanding of this area and how can we use it? Because that's the best way of understanding something is when you start to apply it to your own exactly. worldview, don't you? Exactly. And, mm. and Phil, just I hope it's given the listeners at least an, uh, an enticement to even Google or research about the critical speed and think of how that applies to their own training or where their own critical speed lies at. And you can simply do that by doing a three-minute test. If you have a Garmin watch, you can get everything you need. But also more so, it's also crucial for race strategy, which is something we haven't actually discussed, the D-prime especially, Mm. because you have your people who start 
really well if you like and let's say you're in a you're in a race it could be a park run or it could be an actual international competition if you have a fast starter but that takes you beyond your critical speed very early let's say if it's mm-hmm. a longer duration race you're actually going to eat into the d prime so actually the, the race strategy is how can i deplete someone else d prime stay below my ca critical speed and actually end up in that last 100 meters with enough d prime so i can actually have a strong finish it really influences knowledge of pacing i not to go out too, too hard too soon if the race is long enough for example you have a low critical speed so it really can influence every aspect of running performance that's really fascinating it makes it sound like it's a game it's almost <laughs> yeah. like a computer game <laughs> you've got that bar in the top yeah. corner and you've only got a certain amount in the top corner so when do you use it yeah how can you encourage other people to use it cause damage to them because, <laughs> yeah. absolutely that's I guess how pacing works in a way, because you're you're readjusting according to that sense of discomfort, and that sense of discomfort is elicited when you go above or deep into that D prime, above your critical speed or deep into the D prime. So yeah, yeah I think the critical speed concept combines mathematics, human physiology to raw running, <laughs> and I think that's yeah. where you know actually it's. it's from an equation that you can actually understand a lot about yourself and about elite performance as well. And it's such an easy test, horrible test to do, yeah. but an easy test to administer, especially as we now have the equipment to do it because everyone, a lot more people exactly. are getting involved into running. People are getting Garmin's and other other types of watches which give you the the, the information that you need to then put this all into practice. So, exactly. And agreed to that. I think it's really exciting. Uh, and I'm so glad that we've already got part two booked in because okay. we definitely need to touch on using critical power within running as well. No, so I, look, I very much look forward to that. Just before we finish, I put up a story on Instagram to try and see if anyone has any uh, questions. And there's one that someone asked, most of them that we've covered in the podcast, but one person's asked in particular about the use of three-minute tests for programming shuttle runs. We've used our example for describing the three-minute test with running throughout this podcast. With that, we also used it to see what you would do as a coach for someone that wants to get better at running. But how could you potentially use this information to program shuttles within, say, a field-based sports athletes training program? Very good question. I'll I'll start, I'll try not to go too long an answer as I probably have developed a reputation in this podcast of doing is, not, not at all is, not at all yeah so it's a question like you said okay I've done the three minute all out test I've got the critical speed okay now how can I apply your traditional 30 on 30 off 15 on 15 off shutter running maybe for a team sport athlete or even mm. for myself and hence this comes to the decision of why some people would prefer to use okay I'm going to use a critical speed shuttle version because my main training prescription is shuttle-based. However, critical speed on a shuttle-based test, so 50 meters there and back, three-minute all-out test, the D-prime specifically will be lower on the shuttle-based than the linear. The critical speed, I think there's Mm -hmm. just some slight variance. So to to answer that question specifically, we actually tested proof of concept in some way. It was actually during my master's study, which has now been published, and what we did is we used a three-minute all-out test to get the critical speed, the D-prime. And then we used a 30-15 intermittent test. And we didn't actually, in this case, we weren't actually prescribing for training. We were seeing how well can knowledge of those parameters predict 
how long they're going to go for in the 30 minutes, 30, 15 tests to the second. So for example, we basically understood the size of the battery, understood the rate of their recharge, understood their engine. We put them to the yeah. test in the shuttle test. And let's say some athletes may have had the prediction of 1,104 seconds. And we did the test, how close to that prediction did they come. And what we showed in, I think, our closest, we had nine participants, but our closest was within six seconds. And the average was within 30 to 34 seconds. Which, and that's without asking them what they had for breakfast or pricking them, which was actually quite, uh, we even know, I guess we're not surprised because that's what we sought out to do. But it, the degree of representativeness, agreement, agreement exactly, mm, yeah. also was like, okay, this stuff is actually, <laughs> given that we've based it off all this information. So in answer direct answer to the question, I believe power would be the more precise way to measure the shuttles, especially specifically the mechanical work in shuttles because you're decelerating, accelerating again and use that for prescription. Because of the link we've had from the three-minute test to that intermittent 13 test, I would vouch and confidently say it can be used for shuttle running. You would have to prescribe a higher percentage if you're doing all-out Typically, maybe you're doing 30 seconds or less shuttles. 115% of critical speed is roughly, on average, let's say, to your maximum aerobic speed or MAS. And so then you're thinking, if I do these shuttles at maybe 120% MAS, that's then going to be roughly 130 or 135% of critical speed. So you're going quite a high percentage for those for those shuttles. I hope that somewhat. Mm-hmm gets to the question yes that makes complete sense and just shows how easily transferable it is to get one simple test get the information that you need to get better at multiple sports definitely i know they you know the examples that we've used today the field-based sports and running all involve some form of running Mm -hmm. but the energy demands are different between the sports yet you're using the same test Mm -hmm. and the same information that you're getting from them to make something that's really quite physiologically uh, appropriate for the athlete and you start talking about power, which leaves us on a cliffhanger yes. for round two. <laughs> brilliant. So we've timed that well. Exactly. Well, Christian, thank you so much for that. That was absolutely brilliant and definitely provided so much clarity over what's technically quite a simple concept, but we need to know more about this information. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Where can people reach you? Yeah, you can follow me on, on Instagram at cvasalocv. So that's double S, double L, not a conventional surname, I know. Also on Twitter, you can just type my name, Christian Vassello as well. It will pop up. And also on LinkedIn. I, I can't say I, I post too much on social media, but I definitely follow follow people and try and learn <laughs> more than, <laughs> than as, or as much as I can from the people I'm following. So, uh, And anyone that wants to get in contact with you to ask any questions, more than welcome to send you a message, that type of thing. For sure. Absolutely. It'll be, it'll be a pleasure. It'll be a pleasure. I love, as you hopefully came across in, in this podcast, <laughs> I love speaking about uh, especially this area so please get in touch if, if you wish yeah, yes. absolutely alright brilliant Christian take care pal and we will see you for round two very soon very much look forward to it thanks again for having me Phil cheers Christian thank you Christian Vasalo for coming onto the progress theory and talking about his experience and research on the three minute all out test this was a great episode. It provided some great information about a test which seems so simple, but can give you so much valuable information for your training. 
I love that you can use it for pretty much any sport. So whether you're a runner, rower, cyclist, or play an intermittent sport like rugby or netball, three-minute all-out tests can easily be implemented into your training. Now, I just wanted to provide some final thoughts on some key areas which stood out for me. Firstly, that the critical speed is faster than you think. Now, I can imagine most people new to this test must think that everyone slows down almost to a crawl during the final minute of the three-minute all-out test, just because it's so hard to maintain that all-out intensity for that long. However, you'd be surprised how fast the default speed you resort to is. It just feels slow because of how fast you were going at the start. And then finally, I thought it was just incredible that Eliud Kipchoge maintained 97% of critical speed throughout his two-hour marathon, which means his critical speed is greater than 21 kilometers per hour. I mean, I don't even know if I can sprint that speed. His physiology is incredible. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode and have learnt a lot from it, because I certainly did. All of Christian's details can be found in the show notes. But for now, please follow and share at The Progress Theory on Instagram and YouTube. Head to our website, theprogresstheory.com, and listen to all of our other episodes. We will see you in the next one.